interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. We are nearing Christmas. So just think, a week from today, it's Christmas Eve. And so I hope you've got your uh, packages bought. I, uh, by the way, and my family, we are going to be all be in the four corners of the uh, of the U.S. Uh, this year. And so we all pledged that we were going to just say Merry Christmas and uh, save our save our cash for a wedding in May. My daughter's getting married out in California, and so that we'll we'll spend our money then, and we'll kind of save it now. So uh, Merry Christmas to you. I hope your uh, purchasing plans are going well. And uh, I'm really, really pleased today to have in studio with me an old friend and uh, one of the statewide office holders. And, uh, and as he is completing his term of service, and, uh, and, uh, and by the way, we love public servants. Uh, that's what they are. They're serving you every day, whether you see it or not. And uh, so I'm just so glad uh, that Attorney General Doug Peterson uh, came into the uh, studio today to have kind of a Kind of an exit interview. How are you doing? Uh, what, what should I call you, Mr. Attorney General? I think Mr. Douglas J. Peterson, Attorney General. <laughs> nice. I, I can do that. No, let's yeah. go with Doug. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll stick with Doug. And just, just for the record, you don't have to call me Reverend Dr. Stu. You can just, <laughs> you can just call me Stu. That'll be our deal. Oh, okay. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. How, how are you doing today? Good. You know, one of the, the presenting issue here was that you have faithfully served the state in this capacity, but uh, you did not run for re-election. Mm-hmm. And uh, so your term uh, ends in how many weeks? Uh, I don't, January 5th is my last day. January 5th. So it's right around the corner. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to have a little retrospective and uh, talk about how you got there and, and what it's been like and, mm-hmm. uh, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, because I I feel uh, like again faithful public servants we ought to we ought to know them a little bit as people, mm-hmm. and we ought to also be uh, there's you serve the public that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it in fact just as an opening question is that harder than you thought it would be? <laughs> I don't think harder. Uh, I think there was more. I served in the office eighty seven or eighty eight eighty nine and ninety under Bob Spire. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there were, I think, around 30 lawyers in the AG office, mm-hmm. and I was in the uh, civil litigation. Now we're at 70 lawyers, uh, and it's it's gotten much broader in responsibility. When I was in the late 80s, we were pretty much state-focused, and uh, now the AG world is has a lot of national focus to it. Um, but yeah. I wouldn't say harder, just more responsibility. Yeah, yeah. There, um, I mean, so you're, uh, you're trained as a lawyer. You come in, again, as the state's lawyer. But uh, so much of your job, I would assume, then, with a staff like that is ad- administrative. Uh, and uh, you're, you're leading a team, a very large team. Yeah, it was um, – you are, uh, but you also have people who have the administrative skills to handle the administrative stuff. Yeah. You know, I had really good people. I had great you know, chief of staff – uh, Josh Sashery, my communications director, Suzanne Gage, my chief deputy, um, Dave Bedelic, and then also my chief of operations, Dana Hoffman, and Solicitor General, Jim Campbell. So that was kind of the core team, mm-hmm. um, and they each had administrative responsibilities. My whole experience was just uh, 
litigation, legal matters. Mm-hmm. So I rarely had to get pulled into the amend. I had when we looked at budgets. I had to talk to Dana and Josh about what budget looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I was engaged in legal matters, and mm-hmm. that's what I loved the most. I I loved the uh, the camaraderie and the quality of attorneys. I had. I didn't realize how much I would enjoy getting back into the criminal uh, area and really enjoyed working with our criminal prosecution team and some of the cases that we were uh, mm-hmm. prosecuting, um, I, the upping the game in human trafficking and mm-hmm. building that out statewide was, uh, uh, see, none of that stuff I would call hard, what I call it, some of it's challenging, but most of all, when I think of it, I just think of it as rewarding. And the other thing about it is, it was a type of job where you could have an idea of a need and you could bring people in pretty quickly to get behind it. Hmm. And so it was never as if one person was the person. It was a team effort, whether that was human trafficking, whether that was stuff in white clay, whether that was our, uh, our battles or not battle, but trying to create the opioid uh, awareness in the community, uh, particularly in the medical community. All those things, that's the most satisfying thing about the job is you could identify an issue uh, and pull people in together to try to address the issue, and that was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, let's go all the way back to the beginning of uh, your first run. And because this is – have you ever, have you run for any other office? I have not. And, uh, student council president? No. Or any, <laughs> no. This, no. This, so this was – I mean, this is a huge step. And uh, when you were, if you go back to that that t- period of time, uh, what was your thought process when when did it, when did you first think, you know, maybe I ought to do this? And and those early stages of making that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember walking in the parking lot. Uh, I was practicing with a group of lawyers I really enjoyed working with at Keating O'Gara, and I remember being a little concerned about on a national level and a state level of how many people in political positions seem to be so self-focused and almost would do anything to to stay in the job. And I thought this this doesn't match what I think our founding fathers had in mind as far as public servants. Mm -hmm. So that was just stirring around in my head. And uh, having seen the model that Bob Spire provided as attorney general, uh, Bob was always about being a lawyer uh, first. Bob had no political ambitions. He was mm-hmm. appointed to that position uh, by Bob Kerry, although Bob was a Republican. Uh, so he was, a, he was a good example, and I thought started, you know, germinating in the brain. Um, I remember one of our good mutual friends uh, saying to me, well, if God's calling you to do it, then you got to obey. If this is your idea, it's the dumbest idea you've ever had. <laughs> and uh, when that, I brought that it, there's a good friend. Yeah. And so then I go, well, I better figure out because I've had some pretty dumb ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I brought it up to my wife, and her initial reaction was um, probably guarded because none of it. We'd never been involved in politics. I couldn't tell you who the Lancaster County Republican chair was. You know, just had not been involved in anything, and. Yeah. And I didn't have deep pockets or, you know, didn't know the deep, deep pockets. I was told I would need to raise probably three to $400,000 mm. to run in a race. Um, and I had Sandy be my campaign manager. 
And Sandy had never been on a campaign before. So if you, from the optics, from the outside, everyone would have said, you know, you have no name recognition, you have no money, and you have no uh, really campaign structure or history of working with campaigns. Mm. So a lot of people would have bet against us. Mm. And uh, we did have a really good consultant uh, who became a friend, Aaron Trost, uh, who had worked on the Dave, uh, Deb, Deb Fisher campaign. Uh, and Aaron became a friend and, and really gave us good counsel and walked us through it. Hmm. Uh, I find it interesting. I was told to, to raise three to four, and I think my opponents all raised over five to six. Hmm. Um, and we raised 155. Hmm. And what strikes me about it is in Nebraska, you can win a statewide office with 155 if you get out and let people know who you are what you stand for, and what your experience is. Mm. And if, if they see those things and, and believe in you, you can win a race. And when I go with these meetings, the nationwide meetings, and these AGs in states that are not much bigger than ours are having to raise at least 2 to $3 million mm. to run a political race. Yeah. And in Nebraska, all I have to do is jump in the car and get on radio programs and tell them who I am and what I believe in and what I, uh, my experience is. And mm. so I, I find that really... Uh, a compliment to the state of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. We ended up winning by ten percent, and uh, and so it was it was a fun journey. If I can, if I can tell you one story. Yeah, sure. Uh, Aaron, as our consultant, said, "Hey, you have to put in these. Uh, we don't have enough money to get to the early the twenty five percent early voters in the Republican primary." And he said, so there's this phone system that puts in the numbers of everyone who has voted in the last two statewide uh, early, uh, voted early in the primaries. And I said, nah, Aaron, we don't do that. I don't like getting the phone calls. I don't want to bother people with phone calls. And he goes, look, Doug, this is the only way um, we're going to reach these people. No one knows your name. Hmm. And he said, so this phone system, you have to get four to five volunteers. We had no campaign headquarters. It was our house. And so Sandy sets up. Uh, four different rooms in the house, living room, kitchen, or dining room, these phones. And she's bringing in, uh, she's bringing in my mother-in-law, who's 82 years old, telling people, please don't hang up on me. My brother-in-law, or my brother, who's pulling up with an Obama bumper sticker and a Nebraska peace bumper <laughs> on his bumper. Uh, a lot of friends, a few kids I coached in midget football, uh, mm. just put together this whole volunteer group. And they would basically say, do you have one minute for me to tell you about my dad, Doug Peterson, who's running for attorney general? Hmm. Uh, and so anyway, we ended up making 26,000 calls through that. But wow. one day, I'm not doing so well on the fundraising. We're heading out to uh, Holdridge for a, a meet and greet. And we have our weekly call with Aaron, who is in Kansas City. And he said, Doug, if we're going to be able to get an ad up on TV, we've got to raise another $95,000. And I'd raced up to 60, and I'd gone to all the deep pockets I knew, which apparently wasn't too much. <laughs> uh, and, but we had, we had a lot of people who'd never given to campaigns before, mm -hmm. and they would write a $250 check, which cost them a lot. Mm -hmm. So I treasure that more than a guy who can come in with a $25,000 check. Yeah. But uh, So anyway, we get a call from a friend, and she said, hey, I just uh, – and when he said that, we finished up the call. Sandy and I started heading down to Holdridge, and it's kind of quiet in the car. And then this friend calls, and she said, hey, I just got done with two really good hours on the phone. And she said, um, one, of, uh, one of the callers or one of the persons I, I spoke with is a 97-year-old woman in some small town. 
And she said, I'm so glad you called. She goes, I just had my early ballot out this morning. And there were like 10 candidates for governor and like eight or 10 for U.S. Senate. And she goes, I knew who I wanted for the Republican governor. I knew who I wanted for the Senate. But when I saw those four names uh, for attorney general, I didn't recognize any of them. She said, I set my ballot down. And now this is a 97-year-old woman who still cares <laughs> enough to vote. She goes, I set my, down, my ballot down and prayed, Lord, would you give me wisdom as to who I should vote for here? And she said, two minutes later, you called and said, can I tell you about my friend Doug Peterson running for attorney general? Uh, and when we heard that, uh, we got off the phone, and I think both my wife and I had a tear in our eye, and I, we said, we'll be fine. Uh, and sure enough, we were able to raise what we needed to raise to get a, a half-baked ad of me saying, hi, I'm Doug Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was just that was one of the affirmations that said that, you know, uh, maybe this wasn't the dumb idea. Maybe this was something that I was called to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, I want to dig into some of those uh, moments in office that maybe uh, memorable times, good times, things that happened you were, you were pleased to be able to accomplish. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Attorney General here, Doug Peterson. Uh, glad to have you along. You are listening to The Voice of Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds. On the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back at the Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Attorney General Doug Peterson. He's what we call in the business a short timer. It's uh, just a couple of weeks left here in his term. And um, I, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, just some of those. Uh, by the way, great stories about the, uh, the campaign. I mean, mm -hmm. I think... There's something about uh, the, the daunting task of trying to reach all across the state in a big state like this. And, and then you, know, you drive all this way and there's a little community of 200 or something or 500. Uh, so kudos to be a guy who did that. Uh, that's, uh, that's not easy. It was fun. It's fun. Uh, when you finally get into office then, you're elected. Uh, what are two or three of the things that uh, you were able to accomplish or relationships that you built or, or what you would consider to be just some highlights that you'll, you'll kind of carry with you in your heart as you, as you move on to the next stage? Mm -hmm. Well, once I got into the office and I built out the leadership team and then got to know the lawyers, you know, we have a criminal bureau, we have a civil litigation bureau, we have an environment and ag natural resource bureau, legal services and consumer protection. I uh, got to know the leadership of that. You know, your leadership team is important. Uh, so probably uh, the thing that as soon as we came into office, we hit the, uh, hit the ground running was on human trafficking. We had to get a bill submitted to find uh, some senators to support it. Uh, Senator Jim Shields uh, was sponsored it, and also uh, Senator Panting Brooks got behind it, and those were our two primary senators. We got it passed without any problem. Uh, and then we spent the next two years really educating law enforcement and uh, other community service providers mm -hmm. and the public. You know, the public was just like myself. Uh, Sandy and I re uh, supported a ministry called uh, Tiny Hands uh, uh, for trafficking that was occurring over in India and in the surrounding areas. And uh, lo and behold, I hear a story that uh, Senator McGill was having a hearing on human trafficking in Nebraska, and I was going, what? Hmm. It just, to all of us in Nebraska, we're shocked to hear. Well, uh, seven and a half years later, we convict 
uh, a man who was trafficking a 15-year-old and then 16-year-old girl out mm. in a very remote area, Frontier County, uh, and was successful in getting a conviction there, so he's serving 150 years. Mm. That wouldn't have occurred eight years ago. We didn't have the laws to do it, mm. and the feds wouldn't have taken it because there was really no interstate element to it. So to get the law passed, and as I said, all these things happen because of a group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, we get the legislature to work on it. We get the law enforcement people to investigate. We get the investigative uh, prosecution team. So it all comes together and, and accomplished, and then also there's some customers that are uh, also uh, had been charged. Um, so that was very gratifying. Um, the white clay situation was one that was so frustrating, and to see both of those kind of have a core issue, and that's human dignity. Uh, mm. I believe we're creating God's image when you see trafficking or um, something like what the, the, the depravity that was occurring at White Clay with alcohol and the five outlets that were selling, you know, and, and the impact that that had on people, fetal alcohol syndrome and the children. Uh, it was just so destructive. And so... Uh, Decided to take kind of a three-prong approach uh, and worked some, with some great investigators uh, with the Nebraska Liquor Commission. So we, the first prong was through Liquor Commission uh, uh, law compliance. Uh, the other was with uh, the Nebraska Department of Revenue, whether the entities uh, were in violation of our income tax uh, requirements. And then the third prong was just other um, illegal activity. And so I wanted to start anew with law enforcement uh, in that area. There had been, you know, a lot of things over the last 25 years, 30 years. I wanted actually new eyes. So I was able to get uh, two gentlemen who I knew. One was a lawyer uh, and another one was a police, longtime police officer up at OPD. They'd worked together because they both served in the military uh, in Afghanistan as scouts. So they knew how to go in and mm. uh, do reconnaissance in areas and so basically uh, sent them up there undercover to try to determine what they're seeing because there had to be a tremendous amount of bootlegging mm. we believed as much we knew how much beer was coming into the place and you just couldn't see that much going out the front door mm. anyway so we took that three-prong approach the one that was most effective was on compliance or failure to comply with uh, our uh, alcohol or Nebraska laws with regards to alcohol liquor establishments. Mm. And uh, also the revenue one was uh, uh, successful, too, as far as income taxes. Mm. So that was that was gratifying. Mm. Uh, and one of the things I also found very gratifying, and I kind of missed because it had been a long time that since I'd been in the county attorney's office back in 85 to 87, uh, was the criminal prosecution. And the Ty Thomas case was the student who went missing down at Peru State College mm. and we had a good idea who it was but the county prosecutor down there wasn't comfortable prosecuting the case uh, because they never found the body and the mother and the grandmother came I think in my first year in office and asked whether I, I would open up the file and I read through the file and decided we could we could do this I talked to some of our prosecutors Doug Warner and Sandy Allen were our two primary prosecutors, and we were able to get him put in prison. He was already in prison. He was probably going to get out in a few years, and mm -hmm. I was absolutely convinced that he was a predator and he would do it again. He was in there for rape of a 16-year-old and was confident that he would go out there and do it again. Uh, and he had told people they'll never catch me because they'll never find the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we got the conviction on him, uh, that was one of the most uh, 
I mean, just from a uh, pump, fist pumping moment, uh, mm-hmm. I was so fired up about that one. Yeah. Uh, some of the other criminal prosecutions, obviously, the Sydney Loaf matter with uh, Trail and Boswell. Uh, we, we've got it's one of the things about the job that is um, a little bit difficult is when you see the gruesomeness of yeah. what man can do to their fellow man. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, uh, uh, well, it's not a little bit, it's very disheartening yeah. to see that. I wanna, uh, I'm going to take another break, and then I want to pick up on that theme because I think that's one of the um, – every, every occupation has its hazards, and as I've talk, you know, talked with you and other folks in your office, I think that is a hazard that it's, uh, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of darkness. And, and what you're, you're called to do in terms of uh, bringing justice and, uh, and how, you, uh, how you deal with that. And, and uh, I think a lot of us uh, can struggle with that. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Attorney General Doug Peterson. And uh, so glad to have you along as well. Freshen up the coffee. We've, we've still got a long way to go here on a Friendly Fire Saturday at the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. <laughs> Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with Attorney General uh, Doug Peterson. And uh, before the break, we were talking about, again, uh, I mean, kind of wonderful moments where you're able to do really meaningful things for the state of Nebraska, bringing justice in those situations. But... In conversations I've had, not only with you, but other people in your office, there is a there's an occupational hazard. I mean, you deal with a lot of, I would, I would call it darkness, mm-hmm. just uh, the, the, the evil of the soul that you're, uh, and I know everybody copes with that in a different way, but it would seem to me like you and everybody in your office almost has to have a coping mechanism for uh, how do I, uh, this is a job that must be done. And, and it's, a, it's a critically important job, but it also is a kind of a gut-wrenching, soul-twisting job sometimes. How, how did you, over the course of your work, kind of uh, deal with that? You know, everyone's wired differently. Um, there are some who, when we did the investigation, uh, asking for those, we'd sent out a, basically a, we put out a 1-800 hotline for any of those people who were victims of, as children were a victim of sexual assault or abuse by anyone in the position of authority. And that was designed to anyone in authority, whether it was a coach, whether or not it was a teacher, whether it was uh, from any denomination. Mm-hmm. When we got those reports and had to go through those investigations, one of the lead people I had doing that um, the way he was wired, it was, it was much more difficult. Mm. Uh, and it ate him up mm. uh, going through and seeing the innocence of these children and how that in- innocence was taken advantage of. So for him, every case he read, mm. uh, I think, wore his soul down. Mm. For me, I could go through and read through all of those. I found it distasteful. Uh, but in the moment, I wasn't affected that way. I would just, it was kind of all business. Then what happens for me is when we get the report to its final form, then it kind of hits me. So everyone's mm-hmm. different. And mm-hmm. others, others wouldn't even want to have anything to do with it, and that's why they probably are in civil litigation, not in criminal. 
Um, and so people are different. We have we have a couple of investigators in our office and uh, prosecutors, one in particular, a gentleman named Bill Tangeman, who I have tremendous respect for. Bill travels all around the state, and he primarily um, prosecutes child abuse and child homicide cases. Mm-hmm. And it's the most... Uh, looking at the evidence of something like that is one of the most difficult things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, uh, again, and I, I know this is true of everybody in every job, and there are, I always joke that there are two parts to my job, the part that I can't believe they pay me to do and the part they can never pay me enough to do. <laughs> and uh, But there, uh, but this is, I mean, in terms of, uh, yeah, the the hard part. Is there, a, is a, is there a, also an aspect, just knowing you, and the people in your office, an aspect of, okay, I've seen the evil. Now we're going to bring justice. This is, this is, uh, this can't stand. And it kind of is a motivator as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it feels very purposeful. Yeah. Uh, and it's a responsibility. It's a duty. So from mm-hmm. the criminal perspective, working with, as again, really good uh, investigators and prosecutors uh, and Taking on bullies. Uh, I'll tell you on the other end is um, being able to, in the role of attorney general, um, look at what's going on in the social media platforms, particularly the harms done to young girls, mm. and to be able to organize. Uh, we got we organized 50 AGs. Mm. Uh, we brought in some of the best in the industry who have left and uh, speak nationally on it uh, to be a part of our team. Uh, now we have a 14 lawyers, seven Republicans, seven Democrats uh, in the investigation of social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also very rewarding to be able to put together that. We also did the same thing in, um, against Google. Mm-hmm. And a part of that was due to the fact that of all the, of, of the five big tech companies, the amount of data being collected by Google – uh, and the way they monetize that data, uh, the profits they make off of it, particularly through their search advertising, um, it is a, it's one of those classic things in which most people don't, are not aware of how much information is being taken and how much really predictability is developed out of that data mm. from tracking your location on an Android phone every six seconds uh, to all your buying habits to everything. They can create such predictability, and then they can go out to the market and find numerous companies to buy that. Well, mm-hmm. there ultimately gets a point of privacy there. So that's kind of the antitrust case. The mm-hmm. social media platform case that we're having is all uh, focused around um, the harms in the analog design, particularly to girls. When you look at those in the boys, adolescent boys and girls, Boys are more inclined to be addictive towards games and competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Girls are more inclined on the social media platforms to be really harmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, man, I wish I could tell so many young kids, just walk away, get a life. Yeah. Walk away from that phone, walk away from that social media. Go out and find what you're good at, what you love mm-hmm. doing, whether that's you know horses, getting a job in a bar- horse barn, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's drama, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Do it and engage with people and get away. That is not a group of friends there. That's a device. Yes. And you're being manipulated on the device if you don't know it. And I think most kids don't want to be tools. 
and they are certainly tools, and they're tools that are being harmed. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, it seems to me like again over the last, you you think, wow, the social media has really peaked, and yet it keep, it just keeps growing and growing in different uh, platforms and different things, and the kind of influence is not going backwards; right. it's going forwards. Uh, that's a good example of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my impression as an outsider is, is that, again, you were talking about the attorney general used to mostly do stuff related to the state, but now it seems like in the last decade, we've seen a lot more of, of like state by state cooperation, cooperative, uh, move, national movements and things like that. Is that my imagination or is that? No, I think that's true. I think that's certainly true. Where it first occurred where states got the most uh, in in the area of consumer protection, where they got the most uh, organized strength, was with the big tobacco settlement uh, in mm-hmm. the latter half of the '90s, and from that developed some momentum, recognizing that collectively we could have much more impact in affecting bad actors in the market, instead of each one operating in our own individual state. Um, when I came into office, the other area that was becoming much more proactive was Republican or Democrat AGs coming together on issues on the balance of power. Mm. Uh, so when I came into office, there were some challenges because uh, there was concern. Uh, and DACA is a very good example. And, and in DACA, what was going on was President Obama was very frustrated that uh, he could not get Congress to pass a bill to address the Dreamers problem. This uh, Immigration Act that was passed in the 70s failed to address how to handle those who had come here with their, as children with their parents. What is that status? Mm-hmm. And they were, they were in limbo, and Congress couldn't get anything passed. So he got upset, and he said, I've got a phone, and I've got a pen. And what he actually did is he issued an executive order, and he expanded in the definition of the immigration law. Mm-hmm. A president can't expand language. Executive orders are used to tell administrative agencies to move forward in enforcing the laws that those agencies are responsible for. So an executive order says, I now want you to you know, move forward on uh, completing this task that was given to you in this legislation. Uh, and what he did is he expanded the law. Mm-hmm. And you may think that's great if you care about the issue and you agree with the president. But if a different president comes in, do you really want that president to have that type, to be allowed to turn a blind eye to the one who did it in the past and you were okay with it, but now you're saying, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You don't have the power. So we got to be consistent in keeping the legislative branch, the the executive branch, and the judicial branch within their uh, columns of their lanes of power. So what frustrates me is we were successful in that DACA lawsuit, although it it got milked different ways through the court system. We're generally successful in challenging executive power and have continued to do that. But here we have now a Democratic Congress, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic president. And the criticisms we took for following that was always about fix it through the the Article 3 of the Constitution, or Article, Article 1 in the Constitution says in Section 3 that Congress is responsible for our immigration laws. Okay, take it now. If you care that much, take it. It's yours and they haven't done squat. Mm. And that drives me nuts because that was their job. And you and I know in Congress and in the Senate, you could have gotten Republicans to support it too because they recognize it's a problem. But no one in D.C. did anything. So one of the things, and I, I'm, getting, I'm almost filibustering here, but I forget the original question, <laughs> but one of, the, 
one of the things that um, has occurred is that we as AGs have gotten more involved collectively now on national issues. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the first four years in office, I was a lot of engaged in state stuff. When I tried to lead out on the uh, Google antitrust case and the Instagram, it just consumed my second four years, I feel. Mm -hmm. But the final one that we were engaged in or that we're engaged in now that's going to go to the Supreme Court in February was when President Biden forgave approximately $430 billion in student loans. Mm. And under a criteria of 100, those who make 150, I qualify for that. I make mm. 95000 a year. Okay? <laughs> it yeah. sounds ridiculous to me. Yeah. And how many people we knew that went through, including myself, my wife and I, to pay off my student loans mm -hmm. uh, and her student loan. And so everyone is taking that challenge and taking on that responsibility. And lo and behold, he pulls this stunt, which he doesn't have the authority to do. And Nancy Pelosi said he didn't have the authority to do it. And he pulls it off. Uh, a month, a couple months before election, and then after the election, thanks to young people for their support. No one should want a president to be able to unilaterally use power like that to manipulate uh, the voting market. Mm -hmm. And it was disgusting, and uh, I think we're going to get the Supreme Court to, sh to agree with us, and we'll have that submitted to them uh, by the end of February. We'll see where that goes. Gotcha, gotcha. Got to take one last break. Then we're going to come back, and, uh, and I want to hear about the future. I want to hear what's next. Is that okay? That's fair. All right. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Got the Attorney General Doug Peterson here. Glad to have you along on a Friendly Fire Saturday, 1499 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, Stu Kearns here talking with Attorney General Doug Peterson. And uh, Attorney General Peterson, it is that time of the program. We always do a shameless plug. I don't know if you have anything you want to plug or not. Uh, but if you do, now's the time. Well, I don't have anything to plug. I mean, I just, as we go into Christmas... I think all of us, I think uh, coming through COVID and everything else, I think a, a lot of people have reflected on what matters. Uh, and so I think one of the things that's kind of obvious that as you come through that, you understand that family and relationships matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, drop all the political conflict, come out of your computer silos uh, of all that, and just enjoy the people you love and, uh, mm -hmm. and make whole those relationships that need to be made whole. Uh, with family and uh, for me, uh, you know, just to reflect on God's goodness and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, his blessing is all around. Yeah, I'll say an amen to that. And by the way, we've uh, my family is politically all over the map, and we just don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, that's, it can be done. Uh -huh. It can be done. And of course, as the pastor, I'm going to say, find a, there are all kinds of churches in, in Lincoln who will, uh, who will tell you about the story of Jesus? Who is Jesus? Why did he? Why was he born as a baby? What was his mission? And if you're unsure about any of that stuff, again, Christmas is the beginning of his mission. Easter is the end of his mission, or at least the next key stage. And uh, so, learn about uh, learn about what the Gospels have to say about Jesus. Uh, they call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, and so uh, learn about uh, Jesus this season. Find a church. If you, and by the way, I always say that and you're welcome at Zion too. Um, having said that, last segment here, um, 
we've talked about the past. We've talked about getting into this race, but I'm, I'm a curious guy. I want to know uh, what's next. What, uh, uh, you're not quite young enough to really, really retire or anything like that. So uh, you're, you've, still got, you're, you've still got some things to do. What, what's next on the list? Yeah, I, couldn't, I, I know I couldn't retire because when, we went, when everyone went home from work on COVID back in March 2020, the second day I was home, I had a cup of coffee. It was in the morning, and Sandy was on the couch, and I was on the couch, and I looked up at some floating shelves by her fireplace, and I walked over, and I adjusted something on one of the shelves, and she looked at me, and she said, you probably need to get back to work. <laughs> and so I, uh, that afternoon, I was back in the Capitol and, and stayed there for the rest of the time. But um, So um, you know, I came into that office with 25 years of litigation experience, I worked at Keating O'Gara with some lawyers that I really enjoyed working with. Uh, so the eight years has really broadened the scope of uh, what I've had a, the ability to be involved in. So um, had some different opportunities on a national level, which caught, would have caused me to be out of the office in D.C. And uh, I didn't want to do that with eight grandkids all in the area. Mm. Um, and... Um, Larger firms out of uh, national offices didn't seem to be a fit. I'm going back to my old uh, office of Keating O'Gara. Uh, we'll be building out a, a, a national practice, which will include some, both litigation, uh, but also working for the clients at Keating O'Gara. Uh, and then hopefully uh, can, I will stay involved in the Google uh, case. I may stay involved in the social media platform cases in some way. And uh, and then just giving counsel to uh, businesses and uh, individuals. Uh, businesses probably more on a national level as to some of my experience, whether it's in antitrust or consumer protection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Going a little back a little bit, one question I had while we were talking before was uh, the national movements. When you work with other attorney generals, is there? A, it's like, okay. I know this is really like a basic, but how do you network with other uh, attorney generals? Is there a hotline that you know that you call? Is there a bat signal? Is there a, an annual meeting? And uh, you get I, to know them at some of the national meetings. Yeah. Um, uh, but basically, um, for example, uh, in a multi-state, if you take a leadership role in the multi-state, certain other AGs will want to be a part. Mm -hmm. of that and you'll get to know them because then you'll work as a team as big as 16 as small as maybe two or four ags leading out mm -hmm. um you sometimes do panels together we have the national association of attorneys general which is uh, a bipartisan group and you meet there you might work together i was on the executive committee of that organization so i got to know ags as we did leadership uh, in the Republican Attorney General's Association, you obviously get to know them through your uh, different monthly events, or not monthly, but different events. So one of the things that I have found to be um, really uh, a pleasure in the job is I had the ability to um, really get along with a lot of uh, AGs from both parties and mm. build strong relationships. So... Um, you know, Tish James from New York. Tish and I probably don't agree on any issue, but I could call her right now and Tish would answer the phone. Mm. Old New York AGs wouldn't do that. Mm. Uh, but Tish, uh, and I disagree with Tish. Tish has set, taken some stands publicly where she has said things that have really bothered me. But we still 
worked together on the Facebook antitrust case and mm-hmm. worked together well. Uh, Rob Bonta in California, same way. Rob's ex- life experience and my life experience are completely different. Uh, but Rob is a decent person. Uh, mm-hmm. And we disagree. They've been very hard. I, I feel, feel very strongly pro-life. In fact, Rob Bonta and Tish James and I were on a panel. And I was the last to introduce myself. And it was at a university. And Tish really went into her uh, pro-abortion positions. And Rob kind of did too, less strongly. And I had to respond and say, well, since that's been brought, I, I feel strongly that life is, is uh, created at conception and worthy of protection, uh, and society has a duty. It's the most innocent of life and needs to be protected, and we have ways of addressing those needs through uh, uh, crisis pregnancy centers and other ways to give support to those mothers. Mm-hmm. Well, California, frankly, has been pretty aggressive against the crisis pregnancy centers. Mm-hmm. So what it, it, it's an interesting dynamic, but what I have found is I can have relationship with a lot of those AGs mm-hmm. uh, from a professional respect-wise and understand that we're just going to differ. And that doesn't mean I got I can't stand you or I won't talk to you. And that's turned out to really be um, uh, my my biggest asset as I serve in that role. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to be here and uh, to share about these uh, your work. And uh, just on behalf of myself and I know a lot of other people, thank you. You bet. Yeah. It was uh, an honor. Uh, it, it is a friend. Uh, I leave you saying as I always do to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next time.